Does anybody like anything today? <laughs> Do we like babies? <laughs> a few parents are sort of oh, weighing it up. Whose babies? Grandparents are worried they're going to get landed with looking after them afterwards. Um, just to introduce myself, my name's Rich, one of the leaders of the church here. Um, excuse me a moment. I hope you've uh, enjoyed it so far. I'm aware it may be slightly different to what you're used to from church or what you were even expecting. Um, basically, what I'm going to do for the next few minutes is just explain the next bit, because probably the next bit will be different from what you're expecting as well. Uh, and, and if you're here to see one of the babies be given thanks for, you'll probably be expecting something or other, and it probably won't look quite like that. So what I'm going to try and do is spell out exactly what's going on here, why we're doing it, and what you can expect, really. That's, that's what we're after, because it's, it's not going to be a traditional christening. But perhaps when you were invited, you were kind of imagining, I don't know, vicars, and there was some water involved, and people gathering around. It's really not going to look like that. So I want to let you know why it doesn't look like that, and why it's going to look like the way it does look. Despite the slightly gloomy atmosphere amongst us this morning, babies are always welcome, aren't they? Babies are always a significant event when a new arrival turns up for the parents. It's always a big deal, whether it's your first baby, and obviously you can tell the first baby because everyone's slightly sort of over-nervous about it and over-fussing about it and a little bit careful. And it, you know, We can't put it down anywhere that's not exactly perfect, and we're worried that if we just don't handle them correctly, they're going to break significant event. Once you've had a few babies and another one sort of rolls along, it's, it's, it's less kind of, you know, big deal. It's less let's tiptoe around the baby's room because it's sleeping, isn't it? And it's more like, well, I'm doing the hoovering whatever, so he's going to wake up. It, you know, no, no one's kind of so much velvet gloves they fit in. With the first baby, you, you literally have about 50 million photographs, don't you, from every single angle. The first smile, the first movement, the first wiggle of the toes, the first nappy change, the first bath. When you get kind of number three, or maybe even by the time you get to number four, it's like we've probably got a picture somewhere in the background at someone else's birthday party. Yeah, there you go. And so when they grow up, there's no, there's no real kind of com- com- complexes there that they suffer from. Um, you know, if, if maybe you were one of those babies that was kind of, every now and again, you just made it in the back of the family home movies thing. Uh, the world record, just while we're on a quiz theme, the, the world record for the most number of babies given birth to by a single woman. Anyone want to have a little guess? <laughs> Several mums thinking, please don't let it be more than four. No, it is more than four. 18? 18? You couldn't be more wrong, Rach. Higher. Higher. 25. Higher. Higher. 15. That's lower. <laughs> it's 69. <laughs> Audible gasp. It's 69. I know that doesn't sound possible. I know that doesn't sound possible. Apparently, 16 sets of twins. Yeah. Well, it doesn't make it any better. <laughs> oh, well, they were twins then. No problem at all. 16 twins, seven sets of triplets, four sets of quadruplets. My life. Did she what? Yeah, only two of them died in childbirth. The rest of them survived, would you believe it? That's, it's, it's shocking, isn't it? It's, it's shocking. Both. <laughs> the internet. <laughs> bound to be true. I, I read it in a Guinness Book of Records thing. It's, it's just phenomenal, isn't it? It makes, you, makes your eyes water and, and, and makes you want to kind of lie down and have a rest. But 
even, even you would hope these last little babies appearing to this sort of wonder mum uh, were were a significant life event. After all, when your baby's born, even if you're the first one, lots of fuss, or right down the line, number 69th, they probably had to have name badges at home, didn't they, or something, so that everyone knew who they were. They probably, in fact, they probably didn't even do names, did they? By the time they got to about number 40, it was just your number 40. And you two, 41A and 41B, the twins. Uh, still significant life event. There's, there's 7 billion people have just reached uh, on, on the planet. That's quite a lot of people. And yet, to state the obvious, each little person is unique, aren't they? Each little person is, that pops into the world is unique and special to the parents. The, the parents we're going to be seeing this morning didn't just go, oh, what's this, 6,997,927 or something? It's significant, it's important. And Jesus taught and the Bible teaches that each little person that pops into the world is significant and important to God and valuable, which is why we're doing this. Because it's not just some kids have rolled along. This is a big deal. This is a big event. Today is going to be our opportunity to thank God for the safe arrival of these little people and to pray for their future. It's, it's a good time to kind of stop even and think, what will their life hold? You know, we're going to see some tiny little babies today. And you think, what does the future hold as they, as they gradually grow older? And they learn to walk and talk and socialise and go out into the world. What's the life going to hold for them? Where are they going to go? Where are they going to live? What things are they going to see? What sights are they going to experience? What's the world going to be like around them? How's it going to change politically, medically, technologically, socially? It's just going to be so different for them to what we can imagine, I would think, isn't it? I'm 40 years old, and yet, I don't think anything's very old, and the world has changed massively since I was a kid. When I, was, when I was little, I remember we were still fighting the Cold War against communism, and it was this kind of entrenched, unresolvable situation. That's gone. I remember being staggered when we f- saw the first digital watch. <gasps> the technology of it. I remember playing the world's first video game. Do you remember Pong? You know, two white lines moving up and down a black screen. <laughs> I remember going around my friend's house and just going, wow, it's so exciting and different. I remember first seeing the internet when that clocked on. I remember, I remember the very first days of the internet going around my pal's house and he had the internet and we all, we all gathered round. Much as the stories that you've heard from grandparents when we all gathered round the first TV set. And I said, what is it like? And he said, it's just like a very, very slow magazine. And, <laughs> and, it, and it really was. When I was a kid, being in your 60s was considered old. Now I'm told 60s is the new 40. Uh, and 80s older, but I don't know if that's just because I've hit 40 and I'm trying to push the, the barriers back a bit. It is, it is. <laughs> but but it's, this stuff is unrecognisable from when I was a kid. And these little babies, these little people are going to grow up, we don't know what the future's going to hold for them. We don't know what they're going to have to experience or go through or deal with. But what we do want to do and the parents of these little guys want to do, and what we want to do as part of the extended church family is we want them to be able to cope with whatever life throws at them. That's part of what we want for these little guys. We want them to be secure in who they are. We want them to be secure in the love of their parents. We want them to be secure knowing the love that God himself has for them. God doesn't see them as number 1.34 billion God sees them as individuals and they're special and important and precious to him. So shortly we're going to get some of the babies up and the parents and we're going to pray for them. And we're going to thank God and we're going to ask him to be with them 
as they go in their lives. The, the, just the next few weeks is a long time for a little baby. And it's a really long time if you're a parent trying to get some sleep. They've got a whole lifetime ahead. We're going to pray and ask God to bless them. What we're not doing, and I just want to really hammer this one. This is not a christening. We're not christening them. We're not baptizing them. We're not in any way initiating them into a religion. That's what you expect often to come to these kind of little baby marking things. They're going to be initiated into the faith community or into the beliefs of their parents or into the religious organization. That's not what's happening this morning. You can't do that with Christianity. Real Christianity, you can't initiate a baby into. It doesn't make sense because Christianity fundamentally is not a religion. Andy mentioned it earlier. It's just not. A religion, I suppose, if you want to think about what that is. A religion is, is, is some kind of spiritual belief system that involves rules and rituals that you need to do in order to get on God's right side. Set peace things and set peace times. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do that. You must do this in this way. That isn't what Christianity is like. And if you thought that that is what Christianity is like, and if that's your understanding, I want to burst the bubble for you and say you've been misinformed. You've misunderstood what's going on here completely. Religion really, I think, is rubbish. Religion is like low-alcohol lager. Or, or it's, like, it's like low-fat cheese. It seems like a good idea, but it just fails to deliver every single time. I've had horrendous experiences with low-fat yogurts. <laughs> Why even make low-fat milk? You get proper milk. It's only 4% fat. Why do you need to get rid of that? I'd be happy. Religion does that. Religion takes the life out of any sense of connecting with God and gives you a thin, watered-down, unimpressive version of it. And you can't even do that with Christianity because Christianity is not about religion. Christianity fundamentally is a relationship. Christianity fundamentally says we get to know God and we get to relate to God through Jesus. And a Christian is someone who is opted in for that relationship with God. You cannot become a Christian by being baptised. You cannot become a Christian by being christened. When we get these babies up here, you're not going to see them become Christians. You can't do that to them. You can't become a Christian by having parents who are Christians. You can't become a Christian by going to a church or even believing in God or obeying a moral code. Because Christianity is this choice to know and connect with God through Jesus. And you can't do that on a baby's behalf any more than I could do it on your behalf. But the, they have to come to this decision of their own about who is Jesus and what difference does he make in their lives and what is God all about. They have to personally connect. And I personally think that a birth, a little new baby, it's a significant life event. There are other ones that come along, like funerals and things, that are actually really good times for all of us to stop and kind of think. Because often we're very busy and we just roll from one thing to the next, and I'm going to do this and sort this, whether it's busyness or work, whether it's fun and socialising. And often we can fail to think about the most obvious questions of life. Why am I here? What is the point of this? What am I supposed to do with this life? Is there a God? What happens to me when I die? And so it's easy to come along to see a baby being christened and think, great, that's lovely. But we're not doing that this morning. What we're doing is we're saying, let's take time to stop and think about God and the big questions of life. Jesus taught that we are born to know God. He said that's why we're here, that's why we exist. 
it's like a, if you take a satellite, I suppose, you take something like one of these satellites, communication satellites, maybe even the one that beams down lots of channels for you, for your telly. It's designed and it works best orbiting the earth, doesn't it? It's, it's kind of like God has made us to orbit him. It, our lives make sense when we keep God central and we kind of orbit around him, put him as a central point. The problem comes when we actually say, I don't really want God central. The problem comes, despite the fact that Jesus taught we're here to know God, is when we say, I don't want to orbit around someone else. I want to be the center myself. And we pull out of orbit. And, 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 we, and we distance ourselves from God. We say, if there's God, that's, oh, that's not what I'm about. I'm going over here. I'm doing this. And we find ourselves heading away from God, becoming masters of our own destiny in our own minds, but actually becoming increasingly distanced from the very point of our existence, which is why we find ourselves feeling frustrated or dissatisfied or empty, or we find ourselves on a treadmill that just, it just life just keeps happening, and is this really all there is? It's because we've lost connection with our reason. I suppose put it in a more relational terms because it's not a very charming picture, is it? Well, I'm a satellite, I travel around beaming down pictures. Put it in a relational term. The Bible talks about God wanting to relate to us as a loving parent. Not a stern, harsh, Victorian father who's kind of got a big stick and he's going to hit us when we do wrong and we have to be very formal with him. It talks more about God wanting to relate to us as a warm, loving, affectionate dad. But the trouble is, we've taken the role of the angry, dissatisfied teenager. And we don't want anything to... I'm not talking about the kind of door slamming, oh, I hate you, I wanted to go to a party. Oh, you're so annoying. I'm not talking about that. The comedy teenager. If you teenagers know what I mean. What I'm talking about is the much more heartbreaking situation of the teenager who, who once was the little baby that you held and rocked and fed and changed the nappies and you taught them to walk and you taught them to talk and, and walk along and you held their hands and, and you cuddled them when they scraped their knee and then grows up and says, I hate you, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm going to do my own thing. The teenager who storms off and leaves and doesn't come back five minutes later when they realise they've forgotten their phone. The teenager who leaves and the parents never hear from again. And they don't know whether they're safe, they don't know whether they're happy, they don't know whether they're alive. And you get this sense of carrying this loss, in some ways even more of a loss than when there's a death, because it's never resolved. This awful breaking of relationship that breaks the parent's heart, that's the picture the Bible uses of what we do with our relationship with God. We give him the finger and walk away and don't give him a second look. And that's what Jesus came to deal with. Jesus came to allow people like us who storm off and live as if you never raised me, you never gave birth to me, you're nothing to me. When we do that to God, Jesus came to open the way up for us to reconnect back with God. Jesus came to make it possible through his life and his death and his resurrection from the dead to allow us to reconnect with the real God who is really there and who really wants to know us. And a real Christian is someone who's chosen to turn around, to swallow their pride and to come home, to get themselves back into orbit, to live in the way that makes sense with life. 
And one of the craziest sort of metaphors or analogies that the Bible uses for becoming a Christian is being born again. It's like birth number two. Jesus was trying to explain this. Jesus said uh, early on in one of the gospel accounts, Jesus said, look, it's impossible for you to genuinely connect with the real God without being born again. He said this to one of the religious leaders of the day. And the religious guy clearly thought this was very, very wacky indeed. So much so that he, he, in all seriousness, as far as we can imagine, asked Jesus, so what are you suggesting, that we get back into our mother's womb and get born a second time? Which is a horrific image in itself, isn't it? One that you no doubt will have in your mind for the considerable future. Jesus said, I'm not talking about that. What a a ridiculous way to assume. We're not talking about physically being born again. Jesus says, when I talk about being born again, I'm talking about a spiritual change inside. I'm talking about becoming a new person inside. A transformation of who you are. Being born again, Jesus says, it's a bit like being a new baby. And there's a lot of things, I think, that don't appeal about being a new baby. I thought about this during the week. I thought, what benefits would there be if I could kind of cash in on the new baby thing again? Kind of have your babyhood again. I thought of the downsides. Initially, I thought wearing nappies would be a great one. No need to go to the toilet. You're out and about in Brighton. No need, I'll just carry on. Brilliant. Then someone pointed out, well, you want to walk around in that all day? And I thought, no, I don't like the nappies. I also thought I don't like the kind of sludge that they feed babies out of the, out of the jar or, or squeezy tubes now, isn't it? Imagine, what's, what's for dinner? Sludge. There you go. <laughs> Eat that. Enjoy that. I'm not sure that would be so good about being a baby as well. Being helpless wouldn't be brilliant either, would it? You know, can't really communicate. I don't think these things would be good. There are positives, however. There are positives. One of the girls in the church talking about this said, well, simply being carried around. That would be brilliant. And you think, it would, wouldn't it? Imagine you want to get a cup of coffee at the end, just someone comes and carries you, going, and then brings you to coffee. That would be good, wouldn't it? Having no responsibilities would be good, wouldn't it? Not having to work would be good. Being able to sleep whenever you wanted would be good. I mean, ignore the sludgeness. Just being able to have food without getting it yourself would be good, wouldn't it? Do you have days like me when getting to the fridge is too much of an effort? You think, I'm so hungry, but if only there was another way. The thing that I used to really envy my kids over when they were little was sleeping. You know, when you're a parent and you're so tired and you, you think, I've, I've got so many bags under my eyes, I could bring home the shopping in it. And, you, and you, the night has just gone on and you've got about two hours and the kids are crying again. And they've been up all night and they've disturbed you. And you've got to get up and you've got to go to work. And, and you look in and you think, I'm so tired. And now they're fast asleep. Oh, aren't they lovely? I used to think, I used to think how I envy you. If only I could go to sleep right now, right here, in a big giant cot, wearing a nappy. It would be, it would be brilliant. That sounds a bit odd in hindsight. If, if we just go with the sleeping bit is the best thing. I, I'm not weird in a, any other way. Uh, in the same way as there is an upside to this whole kind of thing about could I cash in on the baby thing again. What Jesus talks about being born again, there's a real upside to it. He's not just saying you become helpless and feeble again. He's saying you, you, by being born again, you get to start again. You get to start again despite the failings and, and, and your, your moral disasters and the things you're ashamed of and the, and the guilt that some of us drag around for things that have happened even a long time in the past or our insecurities and inadequacies about how we cope with life and how we deal with things. 
And the, the, the kind of the damaging sort of thought processes and, and life decisions that we sometimes make. And Jesus says, becoming a, a Christian, being born again, you get to start again. We, we get to wipe away all the guilt and the failings. We get to deal with the insecurities and all the things, the hang-ups that you carry around with you. Marilyn Monroe, apparently, but just before she died, was reported as saying, you know, she had an exciting life, but towards the end just saying, I wish I could start again. In Jesus, she could have started again. That's what he offers. Being born again is a new start. Being born again means you don't just get to start again, you get to start different. That's why it's this picture of, of, of almost a new person coming into the world. When you truly become a Christian, it's not just an intellectual, religious decision. It's a spiritual change. It changes you inside. And it frees you from all the things that you know make you less of a person than you want to be. All the things that you know, actually, you're, you're, you're ashamed of that and you wish you weren't like that and you wish you could be more like that. But when you get born again, you get free to be who you really are. You get free to be the person that God created you to be. You get free to actually know and connect with God without all your pride and your arrogance and your self-sufficiency and your rebelliousness getting in the way. Being born again means you get to start new and you get to start different. I just wonder whether this significant life event, some new little babies, is a good time for you to stop and just think and ask a few questions again. Why am I really here? What is the point? Do I need to start again? Would I like to be able to start differently? If some of those questions are, are kind of helpful for you as a church, we're really happy to help. We'd love to chat with you afterwards. You can, we're here every Sunday, uh, 10 o'clock, apart from the carol service on the 18th. You get your lie in then. You're more than welcome to come along. We don't run a church for people who just believe. We run a church for people who are interested, for people who want to find out more, for people who don't know what they believe. We also run an alpha course, uh, which is a really relaxed kind of, way to sit and chat over a meal about what does Jesus really say? Is there evidence for him? We're running another Alpha course in January if you're interested. That might be more useful for you as well, just to check these things out. But let's finish by getting back to the babies. Why we're all here. And we all like babies, don't we? Yeah. Still the parents are not sure. These, ba- these babies have only just been born the first time. We don't, we don't want to rush ahead and start talking about being born the second time of them. They've got their whole life ahead of them. They've got, they got, they got ages of nappies left and of sludge and of being carried around and of sleeping whenever they like. And if I don't like something, I just get to cry. These babies are going to grow up into people. They're going to have to make their own decisions about Jesus. It can't be done for them. They've got loving Christian parents, and those parents are going to try and bring them up well and secure. They're going to teach them about Jesus, but they cannot make them Christians. This is, this is the risk of parenting. You can do what, as much as you can, your best efforts for these babies and these kids. Ultimately, they're going to make their own choice in life, aren't they? That's the risk of being a parent. You can't control who your kids ultimately become. You can influence it, but they're going to make their own choices. It's the same risk God took when he made us. It can influence us, but ultimately we're going to make our own decisions. You will have to make your own decision. These little babies will have to grow up to make their own personal decision of faith. Someone once said, God's got many children, but he hasn't got any grandchildren. They can't ride on the back of their parents' faith. It's going to come for themselves. Children are a blessing from God. If you're a parent, it doesn't always feel like it, does it? 
even today, Chris, one of the dads of the babies, he's at home because someone else, one of the other kids, has been sick in the night. Brilliant. That doesn't feel like a blessing. There are times when, when the kids are sick and when they're up and we don't get any sleep. It's frustrating. There are times when you're trying to train them and discipline them and it's just annoying. There are times, frankly, when raising kids is boring. I remember when my daughter was growing up, she was, I mean, she's a nine now, when she was little, I literally thought, if I have to sit through one more Teddy's tea party, I'm going to smash my head in the car door. I can't. <laughs> I just thought, I can't take this any longer. Another cup of tea for Mr Squirrel? Would, would Teddy like some milk with that and some sugar? What do you want to do now? We do it again. Okay. I thought something inside me has died. (laughs) Raising kids is not all a barrel of laughs. It's not all cutie, cutie, cutie. It's tough at times, but it's worth it. If you're a parent, you'll know this is so heartbreaking at times and so frustrating and so difficult, but I'd not swap it for the world. Being a Christian is like that. It's really hard, often. But once you've connected with God through Jesus, you know, I wouldn't swap this for the world. And you can look at people with kids, if you don't have kids yourself, and think, why would you put yourself through that? And believe me, they're asking the same questions of themselves. Why have I put myself through this? But they know, fundamentally, deep down, I wouldn't swap it. You can look at people who are Christians, who would talk about being born again, and say, why would you do that? But they would say, deep down, nothing else matters to me. This has changed everything. So we're going to pray. We're going to pray for the parents. They need help. We're going to pray for wisdom, for energy, for strength, for perseverance. We're going to pray for for the babies. We want them to be happy. We want them to be healthy. We We want them to grow up and have a great future. We want them to connect with God for themselves. So we're going to pray. We're going to thank God for them. And we're going to ask their blessing on it. It's not going to look like... uh, the kind of christening thing you might have had in mind when you came here. The way we're going to do it is very straightforward. We're going to get kind of each baby up here and the parents have just asked a couple of friends to come up and pray. So you guys will stay sat down. We'll have the baby and the parents up here. We're going to pray and thank God for them. Uh, You're more than free to kind of amen it from where you are and join in if that works for you. If, If you pray, then I'm really happy for you just to kind of pray in your heart and in your mind, God, yeah, I want these babies to be blessed as well. Uh, if you really are not really sure about the whole connection with God thing, that's absolutely fine. We love having you here. Just feel free to watch what's going on and, and see what's happening. But we're going to go through these babies and we're going to pray and give them a good start in life. Does that sound all right? Brilliant.